If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. <clears throat> I'll read, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of sermons on the Great Commission, and I don't propose to do any better job than anybody else has ever done. But as I studied it, and as I meditated on this passage this week, and thought about the things that are in here, I felt like the Holy Spirit was having me break down each section of this command. So that we can understand what he's really calling us to do. Now, this is the twelfth and final installment of our series that we've been doing called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. We want to look at this message today as a kind of a culmination of all that we've said. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. This was Jesus' final command to his disciples. Emerson Eggerich said one time that if his grandfather was dying and he said, and he had something to say, last words, the last words of people are really interesting if you've ever studied that, but, and he'd say, say it's my grandfather, John, come here, come close, come close. This is the last thing I'm ever going to say to you. Come close. She all right? Oh. And you said, this is the last thing he's going to say to us. Wouldn't you really bend your ear and hear to hear what this, I mean, this is going to be golden, right? Well, that's the way we need to take this today. We've talked a lot about keeping in step with the Spirit. We've talked about praying in the Spirit, worshiping in the Spirit, preaching in the Spirit, following the Spirit. But today we're going to talk about a command of the Spirit to each and every one of us. Not me, not just me, you also. Today the American church is involved in all kinds of programs and attempting to draw draw people into the church. But John Yates in an article that he had in the pathway said, we must remember we are not drawing people to come and sit in our church. We are drawing people to Christ. 
as the only hope of salvation. They may or may not come to our church. That's not the issue. The issue is is that we as a church, as individual members of it, should be obeying this final command of Jesus. If we were to evaluate every ministry in this church, every single ministry, all the men's ministry, all the women's ministry, all the children's ministries, all the youth, if we were to evaluate everyone on the basis of this command right here, how would we, how would we uh, stack up? Would we be making converts and disciples? Is that what we would really accomplish? Is that our, would we be fulfilling our purpose? Well, we're going to look at this command of Jesus in a little bit more closely today. And Jesus starts out by identifying where the power of this command is coming from. He says, all, notice the A-L-L, circle that, underline that, whatever you want to do in your Bible. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now that means he's reigning right now, folks. We don't have to wait for him to come to reign. He's reigning now. It'll be wonderful when he comes and then we can see him. But right now he's reigning. Now last week Mike Bravo talked about unity in the church. He described the value of real unity. And I want to review that just very quickly with you. The unity that comes through love and humility starts with God. In Ephesians 4, the passage Mike used describes the authority of the unit of the trinity he says there's one body one spirit one hope that's the spirit ministry to us one lord that means jesus one faith one baptism that's the son's ministry to us one god and father over all and through all and in all and that's the father's watchful loving care over us his authority now is unquestionable as the place to start where we are going to go out and share his message with people. Paul moves then from the Trinity to gifted men that he has that God has given to the church. He calls them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Each of those callings in the church were given responsibility to increase the church and to shepherd it. The apostles were given direct revelation from God. And in Acts chapter 2, it says that the church did not stop continuing in the apostles' doctrine. You want to know where the apostles' doctrine is? It's right here. If you preach or teach anything else but the apostles' doctrine, and they are the ones through who, how we know who Jesus is, then you're preaching the wrong thing. The prophets, the, the, the apostles were given direct revelation. They passed it on to the prophets, whose job it was to deliver that message. And they passed it on to the evangelists, whose job it was to go out and make converts and disciples. And then it was passed on to the pastors or the elders or the shepherds or whatever you want to call them, that through teaching and guarding the church, they would... Unite the church in one purpose. And today we're talking about that purpose. And notice when Jesus starts with the command, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, he has been given that authority by the Trinity, by the Godhead. 
and he to his apostles, and so forth down the line. Just say this, to rebel against authority in the church, God-given, God-established, God-called authority, and God himself is rebelling against God. Now, elders have a way of keeping each other accountable. (laughs) It's important that we do that. But remember, God's order is God's order. Now, he says, based on this authority, he uses the word, therefore. And you know I always ask you the question. Does anybody know what the question is? What's the therefore, therefore? Okay. Therefore, go. Now, when I was a young Christian, I was in a Baptist church in North St. Louis County area. And I was struggling with what God wanted on my life. And so one morning before the sermon or before the worship service, I walked up and it was like, felt like 16 steps, but I probably was only five or six, to the platform and sat down by the pastor. He had a little pew that he sat on back there. And I said, Pastor, I really want to know what God has for me. I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. And he opened the Bible to Matthew 28 and he circled the word go and he says, there it is. And he didn't say anything else. (laughs) And I thought... What? That doesn't tell me anything. Go. Go where? And the, I was reading that afternoon. I happened to be reading my Bible in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and it says, let us go on to maturity. Not laying the foundations all over again. Move forward. Don't be babies on milk. Move forward. Go on to maturity. So you say, well, where am I supposed to go? That's the first place you're supposed to go. You're supposed to grow as you go. You're supposed to mature into the kind of Christian who can handle anything the world throws at you because of your deep trust in Christ. The American church today is filled with immature Christians. It's really sad. Filled with immature Christians. And they think that by developing programs, they can get people to come to church. And they're not accomplishing anything for the kingdom when they do that. We do it. We all do it. All the time. I'm not excluding us or condemning us or condemning them. I'm just telling you, it isn't what God called us to do. He didn't call us to develop programs. He called us to bring people to Jesus Christ. The only hope. And as Rod likes to say, what you win people with is what you win people to. And I'm not going to go into all the things that we do as programs to win people with, but when those programs are over, people leave. Might have 250, 300 people show up on Easter. Next Sunday, where are they? Jesus told his apostles also in Acts chapter 1 when the same event was going on. He says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it has come upon you and you will be a witness, my witnesses, in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Look at the order. Combined with this great commission, he says, look at the order. Jerusalem, your own house, your own neighborhood. That's where they lived. Judea. Your country, your city, your county. Samaria, the neighboring county, the neighboring state. The end of the world, America. 
You support the Gideons. They're all over America, but they're all over the world. You support Annie Armstrong. They're all over North America. And Lottie Moons, we send out that. They're all over the earth. It, it, it amazes me sometimes that we don't realize when we put uh, some money into a missionary's pocket, the value of that is evaluated by Jesus the same way he evaluated the widow who only had two little coins that she threw all of it in. It was all she had. Sacrificial. Go, do, and go. So, go. We got this, right? Okay. <laughs> and do what? Make disciples, Jesus said. Go and make disciples. The Greek word here is matatheo, and it means to make a pupil who's like his master. Think about that. To make a pupil, a, a student, who's like his master. Now, what does that tell you about your entire life of following Jesus? You never stop learning. And you're only being taught things to walk in it. And sometimes we wonder why we don't get more information, and it's because we haven't walked in the light we've already been given. <laughs> and when you start doing that, God says, okay, now I can give you more. Otherwise, you'll choke on the meat. He wants you to go forward. A follower, a learner for an entire lifetime, a lifestyle of learning. Sometimes we go out and witness to people and about the amazing grace of God, and sometimes they get saved and they receive Christ and then we quit. That's just the start of our responsibility, folks. He doesn't use the word. You can look at it. Any, search Matthew 28. He does not use the word convert here, does he? He uses the word disciple. A full-grown person growing into the image of Christ in a mature person. And that they can ha literally handle anything Satan throws at them. He wants people who are being conformed to the image of Christ. Not just people who have now have a fire escape because they've asked Jesus to be their Savior. He wants bold preachers. More important, he wants people who learn how to love, not the sloppy, sentimental, emotional stuff, real love, sacrificial love. He wants those people to be able to love and forget, people who are the most difficult people to work with, i.e., the church. I thought that might get a giggle, but I guess not. It's probably because it's too true. Now, I was thrilled this week when a fellow, fellow elder and friend of mine texted me to pray for him because he was going to go share the gospel with someone he's been praying for for a long time. His boldness in the Spirit challenged me. It really did. To be ready to do the same. The person respected the fact that he loved that person enough to be concerned about the eternal soul. And in this boldness, Christ sends us. And I, I know we talk about fear sometimes, but listen to 2 Timothy 1.7, and we quote this all the time in regard to what we're trembling about. 
It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind or self-control. And we go, oh, I'm fearing, but God hasn't given me a spirit. That is not what that verse is about. He is talking to Timothy about getting off his behind and getting out and witnessing and telling people. And he says, God has not given us a spirit of being timid. That's what the word means. It is the Greek word, dielaya. It means stop being timid. Well, where does timidity come from? Fear. I can't share the gospel with that Jew because I can't share the gospel with that Muslim. He might cut my head off. (laughs) I can't share the gospel with that Baptist because he thinks he knows it already. Be careful, I guess, John. God has not given us a spirit of shrinking back, but of power. All authority has been given to me. What else do you need? His authority, right? When you go out, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's deacon. I don't care if it's this little guy sitting right here, Jacob. Huh? From a distance, you look little. Anyway, it doesn't matter if... if you are a brand new Christian like Avonlea or a really old Christian like me and you. Christ's authority is on me when I have made a decision in my heart to obey this command. That no matter who I talk to or where I go, God's authority is now on me. As long as I'm doing the right thing. Now, we have to be careful about this. We have to be sure that this boldness God gave us is to be sure that we're giving them a true gospel. Not a false gospel. Not a gospel that says, well, I've watered this down try to see if I can get them in the back door of heaven. Well, that ain't going to work. Folks, we are preaching justification by faith. And justification means... A person has come to the foot of the cross and believed that they are nothing before God and are relying only on the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood. Even when they get up in the morning, every morning they get up, they're still helplessly relying on nothing but the blood of Jesus and nothing but Him and His authority and His promises to us. Now, sometimes people go out and preach justification by faith plus works. Or maybe they just preach it by works alone or easy believism. Here's the worst one that you hear today at funerals. Justification by death. What does that mean? All you have to do is go to heaven is what? Die. Listen, I remember when I was a kid, and I wasn't even a Christian, and I hear people say, oh, he trusted the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He, he did this or that with the Lord. Then later on, I said, well, you know, he does go to church. And then later on, as I grew up, I said, well, you know, he's been baptized. And I was, oh, he just died. That's all it really requires for him to go to heaven. Well, he's in a better place. I know some people that I've done funeral poor that they were not in a better place. That's sad. That's heart-rending to a preacher, to anybody who really understands. God's, the gospel that we have is God's gospel. It's His testimony, not ours. Do you understand that? 
It begins with the awfulness of sin, the need for repentance, the finished work of Christ on the cross, His resurrection and keeping power for us, and faith. Helpless dependence upon Christ, who alone can save. Anything else? Praying a prayer, church membership, baptism, or any other work that you do coming out of the flesh, thinking that you're doing something that's going to justify you with God, falls so short and gives a person a sense of false security. And unless God brings them out of that false assurance, they'll end up in hell. This is sober. Let's be sure we articulate to the world, to those who we're talking to, a really correct gospel. Well, he believes in God, that's so does the devil. And trembles, right? Now, he says, make disciples, go first of all, make disciples, baptize them. Okay. Now, baptism is really the first step of, of being a disciple to demonstrate your union with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit seeks all believers in Christ Seals, I meant to say, all believers at the moment of belief. Ephesians 1.13 says, And when you heard the message of the gospel and you believed, you were sealed into him by the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism is. Basically, it's a formal taking of the cross before everybody. You descend into that water as Jesus descended into death and you're going into death with him. You come out of that water and you're walking now with him in newness of life. It's a real formal taking of the cross demonstrated to everybody that God's sin, that you're, you're, you're separated unto God against sin, the world, and the devil. And we're, we demonstrate to the world that we are His and only His. Do you really love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. We sing and say, Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. But... First John says this, this is how you love God, by keeping his commandments. Oops. <laughs> He's saying here that the next step is teaching them. Teaching them what? Well, there's only really one thing necessary for you to do. Teaching them the total joy of grace, the, the relief that grace brings to a sinner who is burdened with guilt. The joy of obedience that comes from just being able to obey, to know that you know the real God of not uh, the Muslim God or the Buddhist God. You know the real God and He's the way, the truth, and the life to you. And that you couldn't come anyway to the Father but through Him. The total happiness of being with Him forever. This hope that He's put in our heart. That we can't wait for. We're eager for Jesus to come. And always keeping each other accountable and keeping each other's eyes on the Lord. And so, He didn't say teaching them to observe some of the things that I taught you. Or teaching them to observe the things they really like to, look, to do. All. If he's got all authority, he wants you to teach all of his teachings. Now, it takes a while to get through the Bible. But 
There it is. He says, I am with you always. There's not a day that goes by that he's not with you when your heart is set on keeping this command. And it should be set every day on keeping this command. Even to the end of the age. Right down to the last person saved when he comes back. Right up to the end of the age. He does not say, I'm with you if you develop programs or gimmicks or watered-down preaching or sloppy sentimental emotions. I'm not with that. I'm with you if you boldly preach the truth in love. And you're not going to preach to anybody unless you love them. Otherwise, you'll just be afraid of how they, what they think about you. It doesn't matter what they think about you. It really doesn't. You're just a pile of dust with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> or as Paul put it, we're, we have this treasure in jars of clay. <laughs> That the excellency will be of God and not from us. And the case that he says he'll be with us always is very comforting. Very comforting. That way we know that when we obey him, he's right there going ahead of us to prepare hearts of the people getting ready to talk to. Even before we get there. Now, I just want to say there's some risks involved in obeying this command. There's two risks involved that I know of, probably more. The first one is that you're potentially giving up your life. We just sang the song, We rest on thee, our shield and our... You know who sang that song before they went out and died? I'll give you their names. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Bedarian, Ken Fleming, Ed McCauley. For those who are younger don't know that, in 1954, these five missionaries tried to reach the Alca Indians in Ecuador. They made tremendous efforts to win these people. If you ever read, read anything about it, Nate Saint was able to fly a plane and drop a bucket on top of a, a wood stump and fly in such a way that that bucket didn't move. So those people, those Indians could get the stuff out of it and put stuff back in. That's an amazing feat to fly in a circle and have a rope down on a bucket or a, a pouch or something and not have it move an inch. These guys were so endued with God, with power, that everywhere they went there was just this, this aura of Christ. And they went out and they shared the gospel, they tried to make inroads to these people, and they got killed for it. All five of them were, were killed with a spear. They had guns, but they made a, a deal with the Lord. We won't shoot anybody, we won't kill anybody, that's not what you're sending us to do. If we can scare them off with it, shooting in the air, we will. didn't work. They killed all five of them. And you know what's interesting is that Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, and Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, both went back in to that same village. And they accepted them. And every one of those Alka Indians that killed those men got saved. Power of the gospel. They sacrificed their lives. Ecuador was the most flooded country with missionaries after that. 
People were flooding that country because they had been encouraged by the death of these men. Look at the risk. Now, unlikely that, you know, if you meet somebody on the street and you want to share the gospel, it's unlikely they're going to kill you. Of course, and today, who knows? But there's another risk involved here by not obeying this. You're going out with the gospel, the good news that God has given us. But the gospel is offensive to the world, so don't be surprised that atheists and religious people do not like what you have to say. What's the other risk if you don't go? It's twofold. First, you'll stand before your Savior empty-handed. <coughs> oh, surely not. Well, listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians two nineteen and 20. What is my hope or joy or crown or boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? <laughs> For you are our glory and joy. Paul is saying that his joy and crown will be those people he has brought into the kingdom. That's the only joy he'll have. (coughs) Excuse me. The second risk is this. If you don't obey this command, and by the way, I'm not talking to the pastors and the elders and the deacons in this. I'm talking to every single person. God's talking to me, so I've got to talk to you. This is the risk. If you don't obey this command, you are leaving millions of people without hope. And sure, a sure destiny in hell. Now, I know that God is sovereign and he's not going to let his elect not come to him because of your sloppy, lazy attitude. But I want to tell you this. This is something I read. I read read a lot of missionaries. I read a lot of books by different people. And I read a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Hudson Taylor was a Chinese missionary from England. And he was the first and only missionary to go inland. All the missionaries worked on the perimeter of China, but none of them would go inward. They were scared of the boxers. They were scared of the others. He did. He, He dressed like the Chinese and went right on in the middle of and one time, an old Chinese convert, a man that he had led to the Lord, says, how long have your people known this truth? And he said, hundreds and hundreds of years. And the old man said, why are you just telling us now? And he went out and wept. Think about that. Why are you just telling me this now? If you've known it for hundreds of years. Why are you just telling me this now? If you were saved when you were five or six years old and you've been in the church all your life and you've been my friend and you've lived next door to me and I've waved at you as you went to church Sunday, but you didn't tell me one single thing about the gospel. Why are you just now telling me? Is this getting to you? Because it gets to me, folks. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be overly enthusiastic. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to tell you that this is... This is the crux of keeping in step with the Spirit. This is the culmination. This is the purpose. Otherwise, you get saved, He could rapture you right out. You wouldn't, you'd just be useless otherwise. What do you think you're here for? I'm here to grow and become deep in the Lord. No, you're not. You're here to go and grow, but at the same time you're here to take this message that you've got in your bosom and give it to people who are desperately needing it. 
Do you hear me, church? Do you hear the Lord? That's what I really want to know. Do you hear the Lord here? He's saying, yes, there's risk. But there's greater risk in not going. Those five missionaries to Ecuador already made up their minds that they were dead before they left. Is that the way you go out? Get up and take the cross every day? What does that mean? It means you're ready to die. (laughs) Well, my question is, will you follow this great command? Will you weep for the lost? Will you be involved in teaching and discipling believers and in activities that are designed to produce God-given results? Not do this... That we had a nice group of people that showed up. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad they come and I'm glad they hear the gospel. But that's not it. We must not take glory in things that we've done. We must go out without any glory, without any reputation, without anything to gain and share the gospel with people who have everything to gain. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, you might be called to be a Gideon. You might be called to go to a foreign field or somewhere in North America. You might be called to knock on your neighbor's door and tell him or her about Jesus. I don't know what God's telling you to do. I don't know exactly where he's telling you to go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, wherever. But I know this. He did not call us to be pew-sitters. None of us. I hope you and I evaluate and examine ourselves and that we complete the Great Commission as God has called us to do it. Now listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. I get up every day and wonder if I'm really doing what God wants me to do. And I go to his Bible and I found out all i got to do is this. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this series that you've given us, these words from your Spirit, from the various men that have preached it. To keep in step, to stay up, to follow, to not lag behind your Holy Spirit. Not lag behind your Son as he leads us through this world to tell of this excruciating death he died while we were still unworthy, undeserving, and uncaring and died to give it to us. Not because we're good, but because He loves us. I thank You for Jesus. Thank You for this church. This is a giving church and a missionary-minded church. But we need to be more mission-minded about our neighbors, our town, our county. Help us to be ready to share the gospel. Understanding your authority, that you have put all your authority behind this. And not be timid. Not to care what people think about us. Just step out. Like Peter stepped out of the boat, as Rod talked about earlier. Just step out. You want us out there on the water with you. That's where real faith is. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.